Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Awesome. Well, welcome to Blue Ridge Church. It's great to see you guys. Happy Easter. You know, we come together today to truly celebrate the fact that Christ rose from the dead. He came to this earth He died for our sins, paid for those sins, died on the cross, was buried, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. Why did God send his son to this earth? Because he loves us, because he cares about us, and because he wants a relationship with us. That's what we celebrate. And the amazing thing is, that's not just worth celebrating on Easter, it's worth celebrating all year, all year round. As a matter of fact, the first verse I want to look at, and we're going to jump right in, is Romans 6.23. And all of the verses we use in the learnings, they're on the Church Center app. If you want to download that to your phone, or you can go ahead and open that up, or you can simply scan that QR code. But Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when you think about it, that means everything I've done wrong, all my sin, all my baggage, all my past, all of my regrets, Christ paid for that. That's why he came. And the amazing thing about it, and really the amazing story of Easter is Christ is available to every single person. It's the only thing truly in this world that's equitable to everyone, no matter where you were born, no matter what town you live in, what country you live in, doesn't matter the color of your skin, the color of your hair, doesn't matter what your wealth portfolio is. It's truly available to everyone. And God sent his son because he loves us. He loves us unconditionally. That's hard for us to fathom. That means there's nothing I can do right now to make God love me anymore. There's nothing I can do to make him love me any less. He simply loves me. But have you ever thought of how we got to this? How it is that we're gathered today to celebrate Jesus' resurrection? How did we ever get to this point? How is it that churches all over the world are celebrating the exact same thing today? Because if you think about it, the world we live in right now, it looks a lot different than when Jesus walked this earth some 2,000 years ago. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look back at a little bit of church history, and we're going to see how we went from the resurrection of Jesus to a church in Christiansburg, Virginia. We're going to look at how we went from Jesus rising from the dead to literally millions and millions and millions of churches all over the world today celebrating his life. How did the message of Jesus make it out of that very first century? And here's how, learning number one. In every generation, there has been a group of Christ followers that refused to get comfortable in their faith. That's why we're here. That's why we can come together and celebrate 
Easter, because in every single generation, there has been a group of followers of Christ that simply refused to become comfortable in their faith. So how did it all start, right? How did it start after the resurrection, after that first Easter Sunday? How did a handful of believers turn into a worldwide movement? How is it that today a third of the world's population believes that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus is connected to God? How is it that people all over the globe today have a relationship with Christ? I mean, how did that message of Jesus spread? Have you ever thought about that? How did we get to where we're at today? How did his name even make it out of that very first uh, century? And one of the reasons is the eyewitness accounts. The people, the 500 or so people that saw Jesus alive after he was dead, right? They could attest to Jesus's life, and then they saw Jesus put to death, and then they saw Jesus buried, and then they saw Jesus alive again. But it was more than just those eyewitnesses. 120 of those eyewitnesses started to go out into the streets, and they started to tell other people what they had seen. I mean, if you see a guy come back from the dead, you're going to listen to him. I guarantee you. And they could not help but tell other people all throughout Jerusalem. And we'll read later where 3,000 people in one day came to faith in Christ. But it was more than just that. The the amazing thing is, back then there was no churches, there was no church building, there was no choirs, there was no church band, right? There was no liturgy, there was no slick church advertising, there was no commercialization of Easter, no Easter eggs and no Easter bunny or Cadbury uh, bunny, or sadly, there was no jelly beans. I love jelly beans. But the followers of Christ, despite having none of that, they exploded. And I think what we have to understand today and why we uh, are able to enjoy Easter is back then for those followers of Jesus to tell somebody else about Jesus was incredibly dangerous to them, right? The, The Romans wanted to squish any word of Jesus after his resurrection. So you could be simply put to death for talking about Christ or telling your neighbor, hey, you're not going to believe this, man. I saw Jesus come back to life. But it simply wasn't because of those eyewitnesses. It was because they were outward in everything they did. They were outwardly focused on telling other people that Jesus had risen from the dead. But sadly, what's happened over time is the church, and I'm talking about the universal church, that's any believer, any follower of Christ. Sadly, over time, the church started to build buildings, and then the church started to get hierarchy and and structure and organization. And before long, This movement, 
in that first century of love and acceptance, and we don't care what you know or what you don't know. We don't care where you're from, your nationality, the color of your skin. All of a sudden, that movement started to turn inward, and they weren't so outwardly focused. And unfortunately, we've seen that in churches all throughout the world, and the people start to turn inward, and they quit telling people that Jesus rose from the dead. And my guess is that some of you have firsthand experience of that when a church that knows everything about you and knows your life and knows your business starts to turn inward and focus internally instead of focusing externally like that very first church and those first followers of Christ did. Maybe you had to leave a church like that. Maybe you had to leave a church that had turned inward because you got a divorce. Or you had to leave that church because they found out one of your children was gay. Or you had to leave that church because you had an affair. Or there was a scandal in your life. And you left, and you were hurt, And eventually, some of you, because of that bad church experience, said, the heck with this. I'm not going back. My non-church friends are a lot nicer and a lot more fun to hang out with than the people that I used to go to church with. Some of you, this could be your first time in church in years and years. And that's because the church has kind of lost that rallying point, that that first church, those first followers of Christ had, and it's learning number two, the rallying point for the early church was the love, grace, and acceptance of Jesus, right? If you you didn't believe what that first church believed, they didn't put pressure on you. They didn't make you feel stupid or that you were less of a person. No, they tried to help you to understand. They tried to make it easier to understand. They tried to explain everything. They had a process for everyone, no matter where they were with their encounter with Jesus, because that first century church was completely outwardly focused. And we know that they were outwardly focused, not simply because of their actions, but because of the way they prayed, because of the way that first century church Prayed, And I guarantee you, that first century church prayed uh, like we don't really pray today. Because again, remember, they refused to get comfortable. In every generation, there's been, a fo- there's been a group of followers of Christ who refused to get comfortable in their faith. That's why we're here today. That's why we have Easter to celebrate. How do we know that we become comfortable in our faith. And I think a great place to look is is how we pray. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at what that first church, that first century church prayed, and what we're going to discover is it's probably not a lot like the way that you and I pray, right? how, How do we pray today? We pray for ourselves, right? We pray for our safety. We pray for our comfort, we pray that the, the Hokies will win, right? We, we pray for things that, that we want. Sometimes we pray for peace, and sometimes we pray 
for sick people. And I'm not down in that. That's how I often pray. But a lot of the things that we pray for, they don't even require God's intervention. They don't even require a lot of God's energy. Like, like we'll pray this, God, I pray that I have a safe trip to Florida. Well, put your seatbelt on, stay off your cell phone, drive the speed limit, turn left if your wife says turn left. Anybody got two GPSs in your car? Right, I got one on my phone and one that sits in the passenger seat. If you do all those things, guess what? You're probably going to have a safe trip. Or, or God, help me to do good on my, my boards. Help me to do well on this test. Here's a concept. Study. Right? Go to class. You'll probably do pretty good on your test. People who don't even know God do good on tests because they prepare. So a lot of the things that you and I pray for don't even require God's energy. And again, if all of Scott's prayers were answered from last year, you know who would benefit the most from that? Probably Scott. This Preparing this the past couple of weeks has really made me do a lot of self-reflection. And I'm not saying to stop praying for that. I'm just saying that if our prayers become more self-focused and more self-centered, then we are going to become more self-focused and self-centered. And over time, when the church's prayers become more self-focused and more self-centered, the church becomes more self-focused and self-centered and starts this inward turn. So what we've done universally is over time... We've gone from church where everybody's welcome, and it doesn't matter what you've done, and it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you wear, to church where we're focused on church things, and what can the church do for me instead of telling people about the resurrected Jesus. So my challenge today for those of you who feel stuck in your spiritual journey, is start praying different prayers. Start praying big, bold prayers, because that's why we have an Easter to celebrate because of the way that first church prayed. So we're going to go back to the book of Acts, and as I mentioned, in one day, 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. A lot of you are familiar with this story. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Now, what we don't look at a lot is what happened after this. And what happened after this is Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, and at this point they're probably the lead disciples. They're over all of these followers of Christ, these people that are coming to faith. Peter and John are Jewish, okay? And on a regular basis, the Jewish people would go to the temple and pray. That's where they thought God resided, was in the temple. So they would go there just about daily to pray. So one day after this occurs, Peter and John are going to the temple. And they're Jewish, but now they're followers of Christ. Big controversy with the people in the temple. But anyway, they get up 
to the temple, and there's a, there's a guy laying there, and he's been lame since he was born, and he begs every day. Somebody brings him there, and that's what he does. That's how he takes care of himself. That's how he provides for himself. And so Peter and John approach the temple, and this guy's standing there or sitting there, and he asks Peter and John for some money. And they respond, hey, hey, man, we don't, well, they didn't say, hey, man, but they said, hey, we don't have any money to give you, but we'll give you what we have. And they say to him, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk, something like that. Guy stands up and can walk. And he doesn't just walk away. He walks into the temple with Peter and John. And you can imagine the surprise on all of these people's faces because they've passed this guy every single day, probably ignored him. Some of them probably given him money. Well, he comes strolling in the temple with Peter and John. And the Jewish people really didn't like Peter and John all that much because they had changed, right? They're now followers of Christ. And so there's all this chaos in the temple going on, all this excitement and really all of this amazement. Wait a minute, that's you know, that's Ralph. Ralph used to sit outside the temple and beg every day, and now he's walking on his own two feet. And so all this stuff is going on, this crazy buzz going on throughout the temple. Well, Peter sees it as an opportunity. And so he launches into a talk. He launches into a sermon. And he's, because he sees all these people staring at him, so he starts preaching to all of, of these fellow Jews. And there's a couple of words that he keeps using over and over again that bother the Jewish people. And they're the same words that if we use them today, they really bother people. Words like Jesus and word, uh, the word resurrection. And that's what Peter is talking about. And by the end of his message, the scripture tells us that now five people gave their lives to Christ 5,000 men plus women and children had now embraced this idea that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus truly rose from the dead, and that he is the Savior of the world. That means, and, and theo, theologians will estimate, that's about 10% now of the population of Jerusalem has faith in Christ. And this is just in a short amount of time. And so when Peter finishes talking and these people are giving their lives to Christ, the religious leaders are furious with Peter and John because the religious leaders saw Jesus and anything to do with Jesus as a threat to their livelihood, right? The religious leaders controlled the distribution of God to the people. Well, we're going to tell them this and we're not going to tell them that. Well, they see this as a threat. And so they throw Peter and John into prison. Now, of course, all these people who have recently given their lives to Christ, they're in a little bit of a panic, right? They're in a little bit of a tizzy. Wait a minute, if they threw them in jail, they're going to throw us in jail. And if they crucify Peter and John like they crucified Jesus, maybe, maybe they're going to put us to death as well. Well, the next day they bring Peter and John out of prison and they have to stand basically trial before a council and explain everything that's happened and everything that caused all this chaos and this uproar in the whole city of Jerusalem that started in the temple. And, and Peter being Peter, he launches into another sermon. He's got an audience 
of this council. And he concludes his sermon with this final statement in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, that, that kind of sounds like crazy talk. From a guy who's just gotten out of prison, he's basically standing trial. He has the opportunity to go free, right? And he starts talking about Jesus again. This is what got him in prison in the first place. But he can't shut up about it. And then we read this in Acts 4, 13 through 15. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. And I'll just summarize what the council told Peter and John. They said, hey, you guys need to shut up about Jesus. You guys need to quit talking about Jesus. You need to quit saying that he's risen from the dead. And you certainly need to stop blaming us for putting Jesus to death. And in other words, what they said is you guys need to get a church building. You guys need to become comfortable in your faith. You guys, it's okay to have an insider's club, but stop telling the outside world that Jesus has risen from the dead. That's essentially what they told them. Here's their response, 419 through 20. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And so they are released. They catch up with all these other believers who are completely relieved that they've let Peter and John out of prison. They're not going to be arrested. They're not going to be crucified. And then we read this, Acts 4.24. This is talking about the other Christians. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. Now, what do you think they prayed? What would you pray? You're there. Peter and John, you've seen them been thrown in prison. You think they're going to get crucified. And now they've been released and you're sitting there with them. What do you think you would pray for? I know what I'd pray for. I'd pray for protection. I'd pray for safety. God, protect me. Cover me. Watch over me. Whatever. I guarantee you, if today all of us were there, with the church, the way, the universal church, the way it looks today, if we were all there, I guarantee you, we would have come up with some plan to pray for safety for ourselves. And then we would have reprimanded John and Peter. Hey, you guys need to, you need to knock it off. You need to obey what the religious leader said. You need to keep quiet about Jesus. You need to quit talking about the resurrection. You need to lay low until this thing blows over. Let's stop getting everybody upset. I mean, that's how we think, isn't it? Here's what they prayed. Acts 4.29, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness. There's that word again, in preaching your word. Time out. 
boldness? Isn't boldness what got them in trouble? Isn't boldness what got them thrown in prison? Isn't boldness what stirred up everybody in the temple and stirred up everybody in all of Jerusalem? In every generation, there's been a group of followers of Christ that refused to get comfortable in their faith. And they dig big things for God. That's why we're here today celebrating the resurrection of Christ. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever in your life prayed for boldness? The reason the message of Jesus made it out of the first century and we're here today is because those early Christians prayed for boldness. And they were bold. But they prayed for something else too. Acts 4.30. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now we could read that and get all freaked out because of things we've seen in, in church life and on TV. But they prayed this way because they wanted to be used somehow to help other people in Jerusalem and beyond to know the resurrecting power of Jesus. So what if we prayed something similar to this? Hey, God, stretch out your hand and through me do something so that my anti-church friends can have a personal relationship with you. What if we prayed that? Or God, do something through me so that my friends who have been burned by the church or hurt by the church, could somehow come to faith in you? What if we prayed, God, do something through me for your benefit and their benefit and not necessarily my benefit? Can you imagine what would happen if all the people in all the churches all throughout the world today, celebrating Easter would just simply add to their prayers of safety and comfort and help us to win. If they just add to that, give me boldness with my friends. Would you give me boldness so that I see the opportunities that you present and I seize those opportunities to tell people about Jesus or to talk about Jesus or to invite them to a camp or a church or a group to hear about Jesus? And then this happened in Acts 4.32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. So along with them not willing to ever get comfortable, along with these prayers for boldness, there was this outbreak of extreme generosity. Why? Because they were outwardly focused. They were more concerned with other people knowing that Jesus had risen from the dead than they were for their own comfort. See, our prayers, really, they kind of indicate where our heart is. It indicates if we're heading in the right direction. So the question I think we have to ask this Easter Sunday is this, and it's learning number three, where do I need more boldness? I think it's a simple 
ask. And, and you're not sharing with anybody else. You're not answering out loud. But just ask yourself that and reflect on that today. Where do I need more boldness? You know, boldness is taking advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. That's what boldness is. That's what that first church did. Boldness is deciding to say something when it'd be easier to say nothing at all. Boldness is telling others about Christ and not keeping that message simply to yourself. Boldness is stepping out in faith, asking somebody to join you somewhere, wherever you go to church, whatever group you're a part of, where they can hear about Christ. Boldness is striking up a conversation with your neighbor. Boldness is uh, reconciliation with a friend that you're at odds with. Or, Or boldness is telling somebody else about how Christ changed your life. Listen, people may argue the scripture and this, that, and the other, but nobody can argue with a changed life. Just tell them how Jesus changed your life. Boldness is getting involved. It, it, it's serving and volunteering so other people can hear about Jesus. Boldness is great generosity with everything God gives us, our time, our talent, our treasure to help spread the message of salvation. See, in every generation, there's been a group of Christians who were bold, and they refused to get comfortable in their faith so people could know about the resurrecting power of Jesus. That's why we're here. That's what we get to celebrate today on Easter Sunday. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful somebody was bold for me. Aren't you, aren't you grateful somebody was bold for you, that they overcame their fears and their insecurities and their doubts, and they somehow shared Christ with you, or you somehow saw Christ in their life, that's why you're here today. So who's going to do it for the next generation, right? Who's going to do it for your husband who doesn't know Jesus? Who's going to do it for your wife that doesn't have a relationship with Christ? Or who's going to do it for our kids or our kids' kids, your grandkids, Who's going to do it for your office mates and your neighbors that live on your street? Are are we going to leave the fate of the next generation to somebody else? Because that's kind of how we think, isn't it? That's how we think, ah, somebody else is going to take care of that. So this Easter, as we remember that Christ rose from the dead, that he came for every single person, and his desire is to have a relationship with everybody. As we remember that, I think we need to pray for boldness. I think we need to pray, God, help us to be the group in this generation that refuses to get comfortable in our faith. No matter what anybody says, no matter what everybody else is doing, that we would refuse to get comfortable. And we continue to tell people that Jesus is alive, that Jesus has risen from the dead. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for really a great reminder of how bold 
And how brave those first followers of you were. Lord, help us to continue that pattern. Lord, I thank you for this church. And for 12 and a half years, their boldness and their refusal to be comfortable. Lord, this isn't an easy place to come to church sometimes, especially today. But we refuse to give up until people know who you are. Maybe you're praying with us today or you're online and you've never had a relationship with Christ. You've never invited Christ into your life. Maybe you grew up in, a, in an environment where they continued to tell you you weren't good enough and you had to change and you had to stop this and you had to stop that before Christ would ever love you. I want you to know something. The Bible's very clear that Christ completely loves you and he wants you to be in a relationship with him, but it's your choice. He's not going to force himself into your life. And the beauty of a relationship with Christ is he accepts all of us, no matter where we're at in life, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter what we haven't done. He meets us wherever we're at. That's why the message of Christ spread so quickly. So if that's you today and you want to invite Jesus into your life, let me encourage you to do that. Just open your heart to him. You're, you're not praying out loud. You're just praying to yourself, Jesus, come into my life. I want forgiveness of my sins. I want a relationship with you. I want you to lead my life from now on. And God, give us boldness. The people that you're going to put in our lives Tomorrow, today, this week, next month, help us to be bold for you. And Lord, help our actions to reflect that. Help people just to see Christ in us by the way we treat them and the way we love them. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Real quick, I just want to invite you back. Next week, we're, having, uh, we're kicking off a brand new series called We the Church, and we're going to talk more about our role as a body of Christ in this community and beyond. What's our responsibility? Because those first followers of Christ, they had responsibility, and we do as well. So uh, I want to encourage you to come join us for that. And then on April the 23rd is our next Celebration Sunday. That's when we celebrate baptism and child dedication during each of our three Sunday services. And if you've never been water baptized, but you've invited Christ into your life, and that's your next right step, and you would like to do that, we would love to partner with you to do that. All you have to do is sign up on your connection card, or you can just stop by the hub and tell them, hey, you know, I want to get baptized on the 23rd. And then child dedication. At Blue Ridge, we dedicate children. That means mom and dad, alongside of the church, agree to help the parent, the church agrees to help the parents and the parents agree to raise the kids in a Christ-centered home so that hopefully someday those kids will grow up and know Christ as Lord and Savior. So if you want to dedicate your kids, you can sign up to do that as well. I hope you have a terrific Easter. I'm sorry uh, about the parking. Uh, you know, now that they've started grading, we've lost uh, a lot of our grass parking, but I, I so appreciate your patience. Don't, uh, don't wave to somebody on the way out and not use all of your hand, all right? Just remember, 
All right. Thank you guys for being here. God bless you. Have a great day.